Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. This is Solutions from the Huddle, and I am your host, Titus Bartolotta. Listen, friends, we've got a really, really good one for you today. I'm, I'm so excited and grateful that you've tuned in again. For those of you that just keep coming back, we love it. We love the comments. We love the support. Um, and, and if this is your first time ever, then uh, get, your, get your pen and paper out because you're going to want to say thank you to whoever introduced you to the show because today we've got a new friend and I can't wait to introduce him and, and give us all an opportunity to kind of learn and grow and develop in a real special way. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the topic of growth. So it's going to be really, really exciting. We start every show the same way. Um, and that's in prayer. So we're going to start that way this time, and we're going to get right into our guest. But Lord, we just ask that you bless the show, our guest, our sponsors. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of your heart be acceptable. Uh, and, and here we go. Amen. Uh, our friend today is, is Bill Flynn, and we're going to get to hear uh, what it's like. Uh, he is with Catalyst Growth Advisors. And um, Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Dennis. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, so we always ask this question to kind of get started, right? Because not everyone gets to read the bio. They maybe haven't already gone to the website. They don't know the story and the journey. Um, but tell us a little bit of like where you came from and, 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 and who you are and what kind of brought you to the place of success and the opportunity and, and the work that you do today. Sure. So I've sort of had two arcs to my career. One is I did t- 10 startups over 25 years, all in high tech. Wow. Um, I was at 1.5 for six. Uh, I've been through two IPOs and seven acquisitions over that time on, wow. on both sides of the acquisition. Uh, and just so you know, success to me is you have to at least gotten 3x what your original investment was. So it's not just, you know, you were sold. You had to like make some money off the thing. And some were, some were 100x. Uh, you know, oh, wow. I worked for a couple of companies that were a billion dollars in valuation in crazy times, you know, usually that was in the late nineties, early two thousands when everything was nuts. Yeah. Um, uh, so I did that. Love that. I love the puzzle. I love figuring stuff out. I was typically always the front end. I was sales, marketing service, whatever it was. Um, I've never been a founder. I'm not a visionary. I'm an operator. So I'm the guy who comes in and scales the thing, you know, it takes your crazy idea and actually makes it so people will, you know, buy it in, in, in <laughs> larger bulk than the crazy people yes. who were like you who bought it first yes. off. That's right. Um, and I got pretty good at that. I mean, obviously the, the record shows pretty well. Um, and then about five, about five, a little over five years ago, uh, I had four really bad experiences in startups. Um, it just didn't go well for the company. I'm gen- at that point in time, I'm now in my late forties, early fifties. I'm super expensive. So, you know, and they were trying to save money. So either I left or, or they left me. Um, and I, I sort of ran, I ran into something which is called founderitis. Uh, maybe some of your listeners know what that is. For those of you who don't, it basically means you've fallen in love with your idea. Yeah. And you don't really care if anyone else falls in love with your idea. Um, uh, you're not interested in giving value. You're interested in selling them on how smart you are. Yeah. And that's a problem, right? Because people don't care what you do. They don't care about your idea. They only care about what your idea does for them. 
mm. and focus on creating creating things that customers want and value. Wow. If you go to someone, I, I mean, I, I, I know dozens or if not hundreds of founders, and they'll go to people and they'll say, oh, do you like my idea? And of course, everyone's kind and, and nice and thoughtful. <laughs> say, oh, it's a great idea. It's a wonderful idea. Yes. And then they yes. say, can I have some of your money or your time? And they say, well, it's not <laughs> that great of an idea. Uh, you know, until yeah. until that point, it was great, but but now yes. that you want something from me, uh, I'm not I'm not so keen on it. Um, yes, and that sort of founder rights, right? You you sort of believe that the people who aren't going to give you money, what they say, and you have to really have to go with someone who has the problem. So, my advice always uh, is is you have to find a problem worth solving first, mm. and then you have to solve it in a way that enough people will pay you enough money to make a real business out of it. Uh, and we don't do that very well. Most businesses, most startups fail. Most businesses fail. I mean, the, supposedly there's a 90% failure rate for startups. Um, wow. And there's about a, and oh, in the first five years, there's a 50% um, going out of business rate for any business. Um, most businesses don't last past five years. That's data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Department of Labor and, and other folks pretty much bears out. Um and so what I said is, you know, why is that? Why do some businesses succeed? Why, why, are these, why are so many failing? We've been doing this. We've had a management science for 100 years, right? We've been thinking about how to do this as a science for 100 years, yet we still have a horrible going out of business rate. And by the way, Titus, the business rate, the going out of business rate doesn't go up after five years. It continues to go down. Yeah, wow. After 25 years, I think you have about a 16% chance of staying in business. It's not good. Well. Wow. You'd think we'd learn, right? If you're in business for that long, you get better and better. Yeah. yeah. I have some theories on that, which we can talk about later. But so I, I've been studying business for 30 years and really intensely in the last five or six. And I found that those businesses that thrive, that have a great culture and a great uh, profitability and cash machine, basically, all do the same few things really, really well. The businesses that go out of business, Titus, they go out of business for so many different reasons. Uh, there are lots of ways to go out of business. Uh, about five years, about four years ago, I typed into Google, you know, reasons why businesses go out of business, and I just started writing them down. I think I got to thirty-five, and I stopped. There's just so many; it's crazy. Um, so it's really easy to go out of business. It's harder to stay in business. Yeah. So that's what I that's what I do now is I teach people a framework on how to have a healthy and thriving business. It doesn't necessarily have to be huge, but it has to be healthy and thriving. So where does that come from, right? I, I, I think maybe the top few industries that get the most attention from five-year-olds are superheroes and firefighters. And I don't generally hear five and six-year-olds say, I really want to help companies stop failing and, and how to start up and stay up. Um, but this is so intriguing to me, right? Because what may be boring too many is I and, and not everyone's going to get to see the video of this. Like I'm looking at Bill while he's talking to me right now, and there's a certain level of passion, and and you can tell it's real. Like this is something that you, you're not just good at it; you're actually you enjoy doing it, right? So oh, where does that you. come from? The just the 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 enjoyment and the passion of asking the right questions and and, and really digging deep to try to help. Uh, something that was erected, stay up, a lemonade stand that like doesn't have to fail, you yeah. know, and, and run out of sugar and lemonades water. <laughs> How, where does that come from in your world, Bill? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I do believe that we all sort of have a set point of personality, behavior, things that really drive us. And I've always been a fan of puzzles. 
And you know, a startup is just a big puzzle. It's really all it is, right? And and running a business is really a bunch of is it's, it's to me a running a business is probably the the hardest uh, crossword puzzle you could do. Like it's probably from the London Times mm. or the New York New York Times. You know that that Saturday puzzle in the New York Times, which is super yeah. hard. I yeah. che- I cheat all the time on it. It's <laughs> so hard. That's like running a business, right? I mean, it, all, everything's interwoven, and 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 uh, so you have to really be curious. You have to have compassion. You ha- and to me, compassion is empathy with action, right? You can be empathetic and not be compassionate. And I don't think that's enough in business because empathy just means, oh, Titus, I'm really sorry that this happened to you. You know, here's what it feels like you're saying to me, is that right? And you say, oh, Bill, you totally get me. And then I don't do anything. Mm. I don't give you a hug. I don't, you know, say words of solace or, 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 or I don't try to give you, hey, you know, I've seen other people like this. Maybe you want to talk to them. Any, any action to me is compassion. You wow. have to have compassion to run a business. Uh, and if you don't, um, you know, you might get lucky, uh, but my guess is it's either you're going to go out of business or it could be really hard. Wow. So I really love that. I mean, that's kind of, um, I want to make sure I heard that right. Um, empathy with compassion, like empathy that's with action. with action. Action is compassion to me. Oh, it's compassion. I'm sorry. Okay. So empathy with action is, is what real compassion is. Yeah. You know, how, how do we take a person like, so for the folks listening right now, Bill, that, that say, you know, I have the right feelings and I have the right intentions. Right. But I, but, but the action isn't always there. Like I, I know I probably should like eat a, a, a donut or two less, right? Like I kind of know what to do. I, I, I have the thought, I feel something around the thought. There's not just a thought, there's energy, like there's conviction, there's passion. But, yeah. but I think most of the world is struggling, you know, from this. I, I think so many of us are, are missing the boat on this, but checking accounts don't seem to get filled up because of good intentions. It's, it's generally because of good in- actions, but how do we stop being stuck and stagnant? I think that's, I think that's what so many folks want to know. And, um, and, and when I look at your bio and I look at your website and, 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 and a little bit on your book, I, I see that that's something that you don't just understand theoretically, you understand it pragmatically. So how can we understand it better? Yeah. So I think we should all understand that your brain is not your friend. Mm -hmm. It works against you all the time. The brain that you have in your, in your head and and the same one in mine is somewhere between 10 and 50,000 years old. The last major upgrade we had was a really long time ago. So our brain sits in the dark sits in the silence and needs information from inside and outside to to make decisions. Your brain makes 32,000 decisions, give or take a day. Mm. Um, And the emotional regulation part. So let's get back to your cookie thing, right? Or donut thing is the emotional regulation of our brain is in the front. Uh, And there was a great study by uh, on this guy called Phineas Gage. And uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was a long time ago, maybe a hundred years ago where he was working on um, clearing out um, stone. And one of the, you know, what they do is they basically, they pound a pipe in, right? And then they um, drop basically TNT and then they blow it up. Um, Mm. So something bad happened and one of the pipes went through his head and it took part of his brain with it. Now he lived, but this wonderful, kind, thoughtful, gentle man turned into a horrible human being. 
because the part that regulates emotion is no longer there. So that's one, that's a dramatic thing. But also what we've learned is it has a shelf life. It lasts about 20 minutes. So my guess is you're like, I'm not going to have the donut. I'm not going to have the donut, but it's, you know, it's in the kitchen and about 20 to 25 minutes pass and you're eating the donut because you have wasted that energy trying to fight the donut and your brain, which is really old, the old part of our brain, which is, you know, hundreds of thousands of years old is saying, eat the donut. You need the calories because we're on the safari. We're on the savannah and you don't know when you're going to get your calories again. So it's like outside of your conscious awareness is saying, eat the donut because you don't know when you're going to get another donut. It doesn't know that there's not, there's not a whole box of donuts over there. Yeah. So that is what happens. We, our brain works against us. So this is where habits and discipline come into play, right? You have to set priorities and then be habitual. So the best way to not eat a donut, Titus, is to throw them away. Mm. You can't, you don't, we don't have willpower, really. Our brain doesn't, because it doesn't know enough to do that. People say, oh, I have great willpower. I'd love to, I'd love to track them on during the day. <laughs> we yeah. just don't, right? So we should realize that we don't. Our, our brain is, is not doing what we think it should do. It's not rational. We are, we are crazy. We are irrational, impulsive, highly emotional beings. And we should understand that. And and not let this automatic part of our world rule the not automatic part. And it does it too much. You know, my grandfather used to say, uh, if you don't want to go to, a, uh, if you don't want to get a haircut, don't go to the barbershop, right? He would say, avoid the barbershop. And then he went a little deeper. He said, um, you know, people say, uh, the, 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 be at the right place at the right time. And, uh, and he said, you know, but if you're at the, wrong place at the right time. Um, it's never the right time, right? He just kind of kept honing in on like, just stay away, right? Yeah. Like, so when you say this, uh, it's also probably not, I mean, this is not new information, right? So well, this I, is we know it's anonymous, right? This is not, yes. you don't want to drink, don't go to a bar, don't yeah. hang out with the same people that yes. you used to hang out with when you drank, because they'll trigger yes. This brain yeah. saying, because the brain likes patterns, right? It doesn't care what the pattern is. It just likes right. doing the same thing over and over and over again yeah. because it's a finite resource, but it, it's three pounds out of 150, give or take, right? But it's 20% of our resource. It takes 20% of our resource to power our brain. So it's efficient. That's why you can ride a bike now and not think about it or drive a car because our brain has aut automatized that process. So it's yeah, efficient. Yeah. When you first started, right, you had to think. You're like, oh, okay, I got a pedal. I got to hold my hand, you know, and you fell off a lot because your brain is, but after a while, your yeah. brain's like, oh, I get this. And yeah. It's automatic. So how do we, how do we leverage? Um, I'm a big believer in our greatest strengths overused or misused turn into our greatest weaknesses. And I, and I also kind of think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, I think like some of our weaknesses or, or you know, um, or maybe, you know, if we could kind of leverage them, maybe they could be things that aid in our, our direction in life. How can we take a brain that wants habits and patterns so darn bad? How do we flip that and use it for our good? Or, or maybe we can't. I don't know. Yeah. So um, there's some research that says that your intuition is incorrect, Titus. That if you, if you use your uh, strengths for good reasons, you should use them as often as you can. And uh, the example that many people will have, and I don't know how many people follow 
soccer internationally, but it's, you know, it's much more popular now. But there's this guy, his name is Lionel Messi. He is arguably the best football player ever in the world that has ever lived. And he is, he uses his left foot 90 some odd percent of the time. And everyone knows he's going to use his left foot and they still can't stop him. Mm. He has more goals than anyone in the history of football. He has more assists than anyone in football. He has won the, the golden globe of football six times, which is the most anyone has ever won it. Um, so you, we, we, the problem is we don't really understand what our strengths truly are. Um, and I think strengths are not what you do well necessarily, although it often is. It's what you love. It's what gives you strength and energy. And if you can find that, there's this thing called flow, right? Where you're not even thinking, it's just happening, right? And athletes have this. So if we can figure out what we really love doing, and to me, the best way to figure that out is think about your day or your week. And then that thing that you were doing where time just flew by, like an hour felt like five minutes. Now we're in the neighborhood of a strength, right? And you're probably, if you're not good at it now and you love it, you'll get good at it because it gives you energy and, and you're more productive. It's the things that we really don't like doing that the opposite that we loathe, that when you're doing it for five minutes, it feels like an hour. I'm a big fan of try to stop doing those, especially if you're a business leader. And I say, there are four ways to stop doing it. One is, can you automate it? Right? What, so what I do is I learned about 10 years ago that uh, it takes eight back and forth on average to set a meeting. Eight times, like, hey, let's have a meeting. Okay, what time you got? Oh, I can do it this day, you know, and you go back and forth. And I said, well, that's a ridiculous amount of time and energy. So as soon as I figured that out, I said, well, how can I automate that? And there are now calendar apps. You just send someone your schedule and you do it once and they pick a time. There's no going back and forth. So you can automate it. You can, of course, delegate it, which is the standard thing, right? Have someone else do it, give it to a third party or give it to someone who works for you, et cetera. Um, you can eliminate it. Often we do things that don't need to be done anymore. The business has moved past that. Maybe a report that gets run or thing or just something that gets done. Look at that. And the last one is my favorite, Titus. It's uh, procrastinate. <laughs> you know what? Just don't do it. And if nobody notices, eliminate it. You know, what a good, yeah. yeah. What a, what a good thing. I generally, um, I, I I don't know that I've ever looked at procrastination as a positive thing it's, yeah. it's one of my least one of my least favorite things ever in the history of human uh experiences but what a what a cool and different way to look at procrastinate don't do it for a little while if nobody if notices you loathe it if it's something you what, love yeah right? what an what an indicator yeah yeah, what, course, yeah what a what a red flag um i love this we're talking with bill flynn right here on solutions from the huddle bill uh is an international speaker he is an author he is a uh a business coach and advisor uh and has done this for over 10 years to help individuals and businesses and teams advance the vision and growth of of what their success is personally and professionally um i love it you said listen if it's something that we if it's something that we 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 are not sure if it's a strength, like maybe this is a weakness, but, but automate it, delegate it, eliminate it, <laughs> procrastinate it, find out maybe it needs to go back to number three, eliminate it. I love that to death. I absolutely do. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you do in your business today and, and how folks can connect with you, right? How, how entrepreneurs and business leaders today can say, uh, maybe there's something to this understanding the human mind. Maybe there's something to uh, creating what sounds to be systems and processes and direction to kind of 
more than one X, but uh, you said earlier, you got to make at least three times or else it's not worth even putting it on paper. How do, how do folks reach out to you today? Where do they go and what do they do? Yeah, sure. Also, let me, uh, so I'm going to give credit to Marcus Buckingham and Rory Vaden. There's, those are the love loathe and the, and the procrastinate guys. Yeah. I'm a curator uh, of, of things. I, I don't have a lot of original thoughts, but I, I generally stick stuff together. Uh, so that's sort of what I did there. And so if your listeners are in, looking out into the internet, you know, those are the two names, Marcus Buckingham and Rory Vaden. Those are the two things. You won't see them together. If you want to um, see them together, I actually wrote a blog post about it and stuck them together. Uh, I have about 140 blog posts on my website. So um, so the best way to reach me is my website, which is catalystgrowthadvisors.com. I've written a book, as you said, it's called Further Faster. You can download it for free on there if you want, if, if, if reading a PDF is okay with you. It's also on Amazon or Audible. Uh, and I have a paperback, uh, which your list, your your listeners can't see, but it's right behind me. That's the blue one right next to the orange <laughs> there. I got a bunch of them back there. Um, and my phone number is on there. My email address, you can actually set up a, you know, you can do my calendar on there, et cetera. So that's the best way to get me. Um, and you'll see that, you know, sort of what I do is I focus on three things, which is teams, because performance is a team sport. I've found this, these are the three things that I found that most successful companies do. They really focus on team over culture and individuals. The best teams win, not the best company, not the best individuals, the best teams win. Um, the second thing is your business is basically just a system. It's one big system. It's made out of multiple other systems. The primary other systems are strategy and execution. They are, they are, they are inextricably and inexorably connected. You are executing your strategy, right? Your operations people are making things happen based on a strategy. And then lastly, is you want to grow your company, your business, your cash should be your financial metric, not revenue, not even profit. Cash. It's the only thing that will not lie to you on your PL or your balance sheet. If you, either you have it or you don't. And if you want to grow a business, you have to put money into it ahead of growth. So what I what I do when I work with my clients is I say, great, you want to do this. Let's put out a three-year plan. We talk about strategy, et cetera. And we say, okay, great. Here are all the activities and things and software to people. How much will that cost you? Okay. Now let's put together a plan that generates the money to pay for that. You can certainly go outside your business if you want. Um, but, but if you ask for an investor in your company, you have made a decision to sell your business, at least in part. Yeah. Yeah. Right on the other side of this short break, I want to ask you what, uh, through the 10 startups, what were some of the biggest things to avoid, right? So for someone that's listening right now, they're thinking about starting something, right? They have a vision, a passion, a dream, um, or maybe they're they're just months into whatever it is that they've started. Um, I want to know what are some of the things that we should avoid um, and then I've got one or two more questions after that as well. But just a quick break. Uh, we always like to take just a moment and say thank you to all the folks that support the show. Um, we ask folks to pause for a moment and, and take a look at team-csg.com, team-csg.com. Click on the solutions from the huddle tab. And uh, when you're not listening to all the other episodes, maybe you'll take a look at some of our, our business uh, sponsors and partners, just other individuals that think that getting folks like someone like Bill on the program to talk about and to unearth things that are smart and intelligent uh, makes sense and a show that should keep happening. So go to team-csg.com and, uh, and click on one of those partners. They're standing next to us. We're standing next to them. There's a reason for it. Bill, I want to know what are... 
what are one or two of the things that you've seen are, are maybe common denominators, right? It really didn't matter what the industry was. Um, it didn't really matter who the person was, what their background was, but yet somehow defying the differences of humans and, and industries, the thing that like still repeated itself were when they did these mistakes. Like these were the things that seemed to always be wrong. It was never good to do these things. What are a few like pitfalls that we need to be careful of when we're starting a business or we're or maybe we're new in it and we're trying to to do something with our idea? Yeah, yeah. So uh, what I've learned is there are two types of businesses. There's a startup, which I'm a big fan of Steve Blank, who's called the godfather of startups. And he's now a professor at UC Berkeley. Um, and he's written a bunch of books, which highly, I highly recommend you do not read because he's a professor and he writes like a professor and it's so horrible. <laughs> but he's a great speaker. So go on YouTube and, and listen to him, but don't read his words. They're too hard to read. Um, and, uh, and he says his definition is a startup is a temporary organization in search of a business model. Mm. And when you get a business model, then you're a business, right? You have some repeatability and scalability. Um, so once you're, now you're a business and you, and you sort of follow along the stuff that I do. But as a startup guy, uh, I have founders ask me all the time. So I'm here in Boston. You know, MIT is the, is the mill of startups, right? They, do more, they, they generate more startups per year than any other um, university in the world. Uh, and... Uh, so I'm around founders all the time and they ask me, they, they look at my record and they say, wow, you were five for six, you know, and you, you work for this company and that company. Oh my God. You know, what should I do? Give me some advice. And they say, my advice is always the same. If you're the founder, one is, and I've already said this once is you have two things you have to worry about and that's it right now. I said, don't worry about culture, values, purpose, nothing. Cause again, you're not a real company yet. And by the way, if, if you don't become a real company, those things don't matter anyway. So let's become a real company first. So the first thing is find a problem that is worth solving. It also has to drive you. It has to be something that you care about and you have passion for. And you have to then figure out how to build something that solves that problem in a way that your core customer will value highly, meaning they'll pay you a premium for whatever it is you do because they're, they've been looking for this thing forever. And you want them to say, oh, my God, Titus, where have you been all my life with this thing? You know, yeah. um, so that's the first thing you have to do. The second oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I hate to interrupt, Bill. I, I just yeah. I don't want to miss this. So find a problem that's worth solving. But how does someone that could be subjective? Like, how can somebody identify that this is a problem that's <laughs> that's more than just I don't like this, right? Like, doesn't that kind of get back to that um, yeah. wh where you started with us, where we just kind of get absorbed? Yeah, sure. and, yeah how, how do we determine that it's a problem we're solving? So you have to do something called um, customer development or discovery, which okay. basically means you have to come up with a hypothesis and then go talk to who you believe your con main constituency is and ask them, do you have this problem? Yeah. You have to be as narrow as possible. You're actually applying what's called the scientific method which is you're trying to disprove your theory. And if you cannot disprove it, it's probably true. We have yet to disprove gravity, yet it is still a theory. If you notice, it's the theory of gravity. It's not mm -hmm. the law of gravity, right? It's the theory because maybe someday we'll figure out that we, it was wrong. You know, Newton had a certain theory and then Einstein came along and said, well, his is kind of right, but not completely right. And we now have the theory of relativity also with his, you know, three laws of, of um, uh, ther th thermodynamics, et cetera. So 
if you have that mindset, think like a scientist, you have to not care about your idea. You have to care about the problem. If you can figure out the problem for the customer, then you're onto something. So there's a great story about um, the Airbnb guys, right? So this is Brian Chesky, Joe Jebbia, and one other guy. And I, most people don't know this, but their first business was not Airbnb. Their first business was selling seat cushions. And, you know, they actually, according to a thing I heard a couple of years ago, they, are still, they still sell them. Brian still has them somewhere in his garage. And some, once in a while, someone orders a seat cushion online and he ships it to them. So what they did is they, 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 they sort of fell into Airbnb because they had no money. And they, in order to make money, they said, hey, what if we just rented out an air mattress in our living room because there's a big conference coming and maybe we'll just make some money, right? And they said, we're not just going to rent out the mattress. We're going to be, we're going to uh, take the person around, you know, and show them San Francisco and all this kind of stuff. And then they got some guy to do it. And then they did it again. They got three guys to do it. And like, wow, this is something, right? Um, and they found that there was this real need. Uh, and they were just going to focus on conferences, but then they found that um, that it wasn't going very well. Things started to fall off, and so they joined. Uh, I think it was called Idea Lab. And the guy who ran Idea Lab um, said, you know, which is in California, and and he said, you know, where is your where are your customers? He said, well, most of them are in New York City. And the guy said, then what are you doing here? So I think it was Brian. I can't remember if it was Brian or Joe. One of them went to RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. And he sort of posed as if he said, I'm going to come out and I'm going to help you um, take pictures of your Airbnb because they found that it wasn't real. The people didn't take really good pictures. It was dark. It wasn't really showing the right things. But what he really was doing, he wanted to go sit and watch them. Uh, so he went to he did 30 places in, in, in over, over a couple of weeks and he, and he just watched what they did. He said, hey, can you get on the app and show me how you use it? And then he learned all this stuff and he went back to the, the guys who were programming and said, guys, we're not doing this right. People aren't using it the way we thought they would use it. We mm. need to change it this way. And that's, that's when it took off. Right? That's good. And then they went through the roof from there. Never looked back. So the mindset needs to be when I first realize, hey, I think I got something or I think there's a, I, I think there's a solution to a, to a problem here. The mindset needs to not be, let me just ramp this thing up. The mindset needs to be, wait a minute, let me, let me do some discovery. Let me ask some questions. Let me make sure it's not just, I like this flavor of ice cream. So therefore the whole world must want me to start an ice cream uh, flavor. Uh, I love that. I absolutely love it. Uh, you, the second thing you said was build a solution. And I interrupted you because I wanted so badly to make sure that we didn't yeah. miss that. What I think is really, really important. Um, so I'll let you get back to it. But you were talking about after finding a problem that's worthy of solving uh, than building a solution. Yeah, which I think we sort of touched on with the Airbnb example, right? Yeah. They finally, they, they, weren't, they were building a decent solution, but it wasn't, it wasn't working. And it wasn't until they saw the behavior of the people. Yeah. Uh, because people will tell you all the time, right? If, if I, you know, I could come to you and say, you know, hey, um, Titus, uh, what kind of movies do you like to go to? And you're going to say, you know, um, something like me, and I have no idea, I'm just making this up. You know, you're going to say something because you, you want, you want me to have an impression of you. Mm. So you might say, oh, uh, 12 Years a Slave, uh, The Piano. I really love Schindler's List. You know, I really like these, you know, whatever. And then Thought-provoking. Whatever. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. He's a, he's a wow, thoughtful. Yeah. And, but if I say. No, hey, no, no one's saying dumb and dumber, right? Exactly. No one, well, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm doing, right? But okay. if I say, hey, 
can you show me which movies have you gone to in the last three or four months? And it's Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, <laughs> come conjuring, on. Conjuring, you know, in right. a Marvel movie, right? That's right. So yeah. That's what you value. The sure. other thing is what you aspire to. We don't want to build products that people aspire to. We want to build yeah. products that they value because then they'll actually pay us for it and they'll keep coming back. So that's what it means to build something worth, you know, worth it. And often we don't even know what we value. There's this, uh, there's this theory called jobs to be done. It's been around for 30 years and basically says that people don't buy products. They hire them to do a job for them. And then when they don't do the job or something else comes along and does a better job, they fire the existing product and, and, mm. and hire the next product. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a one quick story I'll tell, which is about milkshakes, which is, um, so the guy who started about 30 years ago, his name is Clayton Christensen. He works with the guy, Bob Mesta. And Clayton uh, was a Harvard business professor. He's passed away in the last couple of years, unfortunately. Um, but he had a consulting group and, and he was hired by a McDonald's franchise owner, but he never said it, but basically McDonald's. And the guy said, I need to sell more milkshakes. I want to sell more milkshakes. And Clayton went to him and said, great, what did you do? And guess what he said? He said, I asked my customer what they wanted. And he said, what happened? He said, well, they told me. He said, we wanted chocolatier, chunkier, creamier, whatever. And so I changed. I did what they did. They asked for it. And he said, well, what happened? He said, nothing. Sales were flat. And he said, fine, that's cool. We're going to come in tomorrow and we're just going to observe. So they spent the entire day and they found that 40% or so of all the milkshakes purchased in the day, and now McDonald's is open like 20 hours, right? <laughs> were, um, were before 8 a.m. And another big slice, but less than 40, but another big chunk was in the mid-afternoon. So the next day they went back in the morning and they talked to the people who bought the milkshake and they said, why did you hire this milkshake? And, you know, after they got over the confusion, this is a weird question, right? Um, they, they, they sort of said the same answer, which was, well, I have a really long commute. I'm not hungry right now, but I know I will be. The commute is super boring. Um, and it, I, can, I can hold this in one hand. So I can suck on this thing. It's going to take 20, 25, 30 minutes to, to actually drink it. It'll fill me up. I'll make it through to lunch. And then he went to the guys in the afternoon and said, why do you guys hire the milkshake? And it was a completely different job they hired it for. It was usually dad. And dad wanted to be cool with the kids. He had the kids after school or after sports. And they said, hey, dad, can I have a milkshake? You know, and he said, well, you know, sure, but don't tell your mother because we don't want to, you know, ruin dinner. Right. And, uh, and but what they found was that um, kids didn't have really good motor skills so you know i don't know if you ever had like a milkshake and you squeeze you could squeeze it wrong and it's just milkshake goes everywhere and it spills and whatever so they yeah. made it into like a sippy cup they made the straw bigger and they made it smaller so dad didn't feel as bad and yeah. guess what happened in both instances sales went up wow isn't that amazing they didn't change the yeah. product at all Wow. Right. So really, oh, just, what the, just so you know, I'm sorry, I, I missed this spot. So in the morning, what they did is they put a, a card swipe. This was like 20 years ago. They put a card swipe. They put all of the milkshakes on the counter and you could just walk in because one of the, one of the problems was the line was super long on the drive-thru. So they had to sit yeah. and wait. He said, Hey, if you don't want to wait, we're going to put the four or five milkshakes right here. Card swipe. You don't need to talk to anybody. Just come in, grab your milkshake, card swipe, go. And that's what happened. Wow. So what I love or what I take from that is when you talk about what does somebody value versus aspire to, it sounds like sometimes people create businesses, products, and services that actually give the end user more work to do, right? If it's yeah. something they aspire to, you're now 
trying to get, and, and in many cases, what I do in my business, and it sounds like some of what you do in your business is actually get people to grow and develop and, and reach that which they aspire to. But but it is not an easy market to, to attract clients. And, and for most products and services, it needs to be more about what they currently value than, than where they're going and, and creating yeah. work for them. And, uh, and really, if we make the, the product and service easier for them and, and, and make sure that it works for them, yeah. uh, we, we're probably going to have a, cl- a client for a very, very long time. That, that's yeah. kind of what I took away from Yeah, I think very insightful. It's really about progress. People want to make progress, right? And that's yeah. what we're trying to do. And progress is, is, is basically, as you said, if you make things easier for people, they're much more likely to progress in what they're doing. Um, so I, I think you're, I think you're dead on with your, with your insight there. I love it. Um, Bill Flynn with Catalyst Growth Advisors. Bill, I'm so grateful that you uh, chose to give us some of your time and be on the show. And, and I, this is one of those shows, and I don't say this for everyone, but I, I really would love all of our guests. This is one of those ones where I want you to listen to it again. You know, I want you to enjoy the technology and I want you to enjoy the ability to pause and rewind. We take for granted, I think, the ability to, to pause, take a note, rewind. You know, we miss that. I mean, there's a whole generation of human experience where they didn't have the ability to watch that again real quick or listen. Hey, wait, wait, a timeout. That was too good. Let me digest that again. Uh, but I really want folks to listen to this one and then, and then listen to it again and again. I think there's so much in this episode and where the ancient Greeks said that repetition is the mother of all learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it's only because it creates a habit. I think that where we're at mentally and emotionally today is different than maybe where we were at six months ago in life. And, and, and therefore, where you're going to be when you listen to this show a second and a third time may be in a place where you continue to get nuggets uh, out of this one. I'm so grateful. And, uh, and so is my multiple sheets of paper with lots of great notes here, Bill. Uh, one more time for our guests, though. Uh, tell, tell them exactly where they need to go. I, I know, Bill, you are the, the founder um, and the person running Catalyst Growth Advisors. But one more time, where, where can folks go to keep the conversation going with you? Yep. So it is catalystgrowthadvisors.com. Um, and again, my book's on there. And if, and if you like the little nuggets, there's a ton more nuggets in the book. Uh, and on my website, I, have, I write a blog post every, um, I write my blog post twice a month. I've been doing it for five years. So there are a, a lot of them there. There's a lot of repetition and, and et cetera, as you said, you know, it's repetition definitely helps with learning. Um, uh, but I always try to put a, a new spin on something, uh, et cetera. So uh, go there and you can get in touch with me. You can download the book. You can do whatever you want. I love it. Make sure you guys check out Further Faster. You can find it on Amazon. Don't be one of those people that just download it for free on the website. Go spend some money. It's <laughs> worth it. Um, and, and, and Bill, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back and do the show again in the future. Yeah, there's so much more to talk about. And I really enjoyed it, Titus. Thank you. Hey, guys. Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you'll join us soon.